Hello, and welcome to episode 211 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans' weekly podcast of many topics. I am Zach Wilkerson, and I am joined today by Hilary Andrew. Hi, everyone. I have my pet hedgehog here with me on my lap, and she's going to be <laughs> playing the role of she's going to be my puffy today. Ah, I need a puffy. Uh, my cat is also in the room right now, but he is not in my lap, so he'd probably, he'd probably meow a lot if he was, so I should probably keep him over there. Um, but uh, speaking of puffy, uh, we're here to talk about Grandia again, part two. And so uh, I'm curious, Hillary, uh, before we even start, uh, part two, did it live up to part one for you? You know, in a lot of ways, it in some ways it did, in some ways it didn't, okay. I would say. Um, I would say I thought a lot more about the second half of the game, like it it was a little more introspective than I was expecting, which yeah. was interesting. Um, but there were just some some points, and this is just kind of a nitpicky thing, where I felt like some of the some of the dialogue and some of the really great localization that I fell in love with, I feel like kind of as things started really really going in the second half, some of that kind of fell off a little bit in some areas. That was a little disappointing. Yeah, no, what I about agree. You? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that the um, once the plot machinations start sort of hitting in full gear, which happens maybe, a, uh, I don't know, five or six hours after where we're going to start talking about Grandia, I feel like it loses some of its charm. Um, I, I think that part of it is that um, it, it's so earnest throughout the rest of the game, but once the plot really starts rolling and rolling gets very serious and save the world, um, it it loses some of its charm and it loses some of what I think gives the first half its identity. I was going to say, yeah, that whimsy is really a defining characteristic up until some of the points we're going to be talking about today. And then it's not quite as present. Yeah. And I can't remember, did you say that you had finished Grandia all the way through before? I got pretty close. I don't think I did the bonus dungeons or anything, but I think we were at the final battle, if not. And I, I knew what happened in the ending. Okay. At any rate. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't wait to talk about the ending because that is one thing about the second half that I do love. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny because, and I think I might have mentioned this in the last podcast, uh, when I played this game originally, um, I was very young. I was like 14 and maybe not the right audience for the tone of Grandia. And I remember I, I beat the game really quickly once I got to the last third because I was like, oh, now, now here's the game that I thought I was going to play. <laughs> here's some story. You've actually given me something and I just did not appreciate uh, the localization and the tone. Uh, I just remember really liking the ending. Um, one of the party members, uh, Liette, once you get her, I remember being like really hyped about her and she's cool still in this version of it, but, um, yeah. it, it's, it's still, uh, now looking at it as a slightly older person, I definitely prefer the tone of the first half. Kind of odd how that happens. <laughs> yeah. There are some things I like better about the second half, though. And I guess we'll talk about mm-hmm. that. Um, I, I think that the uh, dungeon design becomes significantly less annoying here, um, except yes. for maybe the final dungeon. Um, the final dungeon's a little bit rough, I think. Uh, but uh, in general, I, I thought that I didn't find myself getting lost nearly as frequently in the second half. Um, yeah, I will agree with that. And, and I thought the battle system was even more fun in the second half, too, because uh, some of the skills are starting to come together. Um, and, and so yeah. many more skills are being unlocked as you go, like uh, Dragon Cut, which I mentioned in the first half. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I just uh, you get like sixty four points like every time you use it for your weapon, and so then my axe is like level seventy by like twenty minutes of grinding, and then Justin is just an unbelievable powerhouse. And I love breaking <laughs> games; it's like my favorite thing to do. Um, so <laughs> I did like that part. Yeah, I mean, once you've spent the time 
in the first half and get to that point, you really finally have enough options to do that sort of thing and find the combinations and find the things that work to get those various skills up quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I agree. it really starts to come together. Yeah. So I guess it would be, uh, I think it's probably important that we give a quick recap of where we were. Um, so where we left off, uh, we had Justin and Fina and Sue and Gadwin at the top of the Typhoon Tower. And they are there in front of two mirrors and they have to decide which one to go through um, in order to um, save Dite Village. And um, Justin goes through and um, he, he ends up almost getting killed while he, he does that. Uh, but the Spirit Stone saves him and he finds himself um, down at the bottom of the Typhoon Tower. Once they come down from the the tower, um, they go back to Dite Village, and you know Dite Village, as as usual in Grandia, everybody gives them a huge warm welcome. Thanks for saving us again, like because they save everyone. I think the entire world is saved by Justin at some point um, over the course of this adventure, <laughs> which is one of the reasons why it's sometimes hard to keep track. Yeah, of the there's plot a real. Here. I mean, well, it is because it's a series of villages with problems and there's kind of like a local dungeon where you have to fix the problem and this one it's the spear mm-hmm. and there's a cute little ceremony where justin gets to put the spear at the top of this little platform and he and fina get matching armbands because she decided which door to go through when he went through it yeah uh so once you leave uh dyke village you find yourself on the way to uh the twin towers which is another like sort of ancient ruin to help you Find your way to Alent, an Angelouian ruin, um, which again is sort of the, the kind of common thread of this game. You're always like, and there's always another ruin for you to go find. You get one more piece of information about Alent. Um, and it sounds like I'm annoyed by that, but I'm actually not because I like uh, the rhythm of that. I think that's the part of this game that works really well. But you find yourself in one of the more ridiculous situations in this game, um, in, in Gumbo Village, uh, where uh, Gadwin tells you, oh, this is going to be an amazing town. There's a festival going on right now. It's going to be awesome. And they get it's there like and, Rio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then you get there and like, where is everyone? And they're like, oh, where, where is everybody? Where is everybody at? Um, so eventually they do find where everybody is and the village elders like, oh, you two must be the special couple and the two special guests of honor. Um, and, and yeah, and everyone, you find out everyone's kind of hiding from each other yeah. because the men, men and women in this village are avoiding each other. They are avoiding each other, which seems very strange when you arrive. Like, well, why wouldn't you want to be the special guest of honor? That sounds delightful. Um, well, it turns out it's not. Um, so uh, <laughs> Justin and Fina, it turns out, are sacrifices to, uh, I believe it's the, the fire dragon god or something like that. Is that what they call yeah, they, they said there's a dragon at the center of the yeah. volcano. Yeah, there's a dragon yeah. at the center of a volcano, and they're going to get fired by via cannon up to the top <laughs> of that volcano, <laughs> which is actually exactly what happens. Um, which, of course, catches Justin by surprise more yeah. than Fina. Yeah, Fina kind of... I think I know this is happening, yeah. But Justin never <laughs> I does. I think something's up. <laughs> yeah, but he... Justin's not always not always the sharpest about these things. <laughs> uh, man, I love that moment. Um, it's so funny. But of course, you know, um, yeah. Sue and Gadwin come up to help you, and they come up to save you, and they do. And yeah, they defeat... find you, you beat the dragon. Yeah, you beat the dragon, of course. And you go back to town, and, you know, you've defeated the dragon, and once again, you've saved a village, which again, rhythm of Grandia. So, yes. <laughs> yep. So the village is not cold anymore, and the men and women can socialize again, and... All that good stuff, and you get the epithet of being the brave couple, which is yet another situation where Justin and Fina are categorized as a couple. Yeah, and this is really before you get much of a vision for the fact that the two of them even have 
any sort of a romantic interest in each other, which I'm really glad about, actually, because it makes the whole thing even more uncomfortable. <laughs> it is. It is. And I kind of mark this as a little bit of a turning point because there's this little islet in Gumbo that's supposed to be the yeah. most romantic spot. And, like, only the best-fated couples can go there. And Justin and Fina go there. And they see a bunch of spirits, like these little lights. And it's a really pretty cutscene. Yeah. And that's when Fina starts to kind of try and tell Justin how she feels. Yeah. And Justin's pretty oblivious. Yeah, of course he is. I mean, it, it, it's it's a pretty light touch here. But yeah, that is one of my favorite sequences in the whole yep. game. Um, just like it, it, it's yep. it's romantic in just the right way. It doesn't feel cheesy. It doesn't feel over the top. It feels totally earned. Because you spent, I mean, at this time, at this point, we're like 20 hours into the game. And you've spent like maybe 15 hours of these two together. And you can see how the rhythm of the two of them works. And I think especially just coming out of Typhoon Tower, you can see just how important Justin is to Fina. So it's it's a moment that I think um, absolutely works, even though it could come off as cheesy. Yeah, I mean, they did do some work establishing how much she cares about him beforehand, mm -hmm. so it pays yeah. off. I agree. Yeah. Um, and so after that, um, you finally make your way to the Twin Towers, um, which is the Angelou Ruin. Um, where you're going to find out, you know, again, more information about um, Alant. And this is actually yeah. one of my, maybe my favorite dungeon and one of my favorite sequences in the whole game. Because when you go into the dungeon and you find your way in, eventually uh, the Garlisle forces are there and you get separated. And the important part for Surprise. me is that you end up uh, going through the dungeon. So Justin ends up going through the dungeon with Lean and um, Fina goes through it with Mullen. I think this is good foreshadowing for mm -hmm. very late game stuff actually mm -hmm. so I, I like looking back on it now yeah. that just kind of clicked and it was especially interesting like the way they the precise way they paired people off i'll try not to spoil it any more than that yet but yes yeah. don't worry listeners <laughs> we'll get there uh <laughs> but uh yeah i, I mean I, I think that um it, it sort of goes through and mullen explains a lot about um the angelou civilization and a lot about his own background with his mother mm -hmm. Um, and it makes him, you know, he's already pretty sympathetic because I think he likes Justin so much. Um, and I think that they do a great job of sort of allowing those two to play off of each other. It helps develop Fina even and Mullen a lot. Um, and I love how that relationship comes to bear later again, as you said, on, on the yeah. game, but maybe mm -hmm. even better. I like the interactions between Justin and Lean. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> because, uh, you, you can sort of see the same sorts of rhythms that he and Fina have to some degree, but also, like, they're constantly at odds about the spirit stone. And eventually, Justin um, gives her the spirit stone because she just, like, yeah. is continually after him about it. But then later, after she gets to know Justin a little you bit more, she gives mm -hmm. it back. Yeah, she's she's very conflicted because she's extremely loyal to Mullen. Right. Um, she starts out by saying, I will take you down. I don't care if I get out of this tower because I'm supposed to get that stone. It's my duty. Um, so I'm going to take it even, even if that means, you know, I have to fight off all these other enemies myself. And Justin says, well, if you're really going to be that short sighted, I'll just give it to you. So he right. gives her the spirit stone. <laughs> and now can we get out of here together, please? Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Please. please. <laughs> the, the one time in the whole game that Justin is slightly practical. It's like, all right, <laughs> I, I just want to get out of here now, <laughs> please. <laughs> but I, I think that the moment that she gives him back the spirit stone, um, is really lovely. Um, yeah, and uh, makes uh, again a, a moment uh, that we'll talk about later, particularly powerful. Um, yes, because I think that she's such a great character, um, and she's developed so well, even with relatively little screen time. They do a lot with her with just 
periodic time and short scenes. Scenes with her usually aren't very long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that um, her connection to Fina ends up helping us a lot, but she um, she seems realistic and she seems developed despite the fact that she makes really quick changes sometimes in what she's doing or the decisions she's making. She does them almost all throughout the game where she seems to be working both ways, mm-hmm. but somehow even with the limited screen time, I'm able to buy that she would be this conflicted. Mm-hmm. So after you leave there, um, you have a discussion about um, a way to cross the sea. Uh, but then Gadwin says, like, ah, no, nobody crosses that sea uh, because you realize you need to cross the sea again in order to get to a land. <laughs> yes. Uh, the next phase in your journey, East Alencia, which is way the hell across the sea. Yeah. And uh, you learn that it's evil mermaid season and yeah. it's really dangerous for pretty much anyone. <laughs> and we find out just how evil those mermaids are a little bit here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and even Gadwin, who like is like the, the strongest, toughest guy, he's like, yeah, uh, nobody really does that. You should not do that. So we're just going to go get this stone that teleports right. you wherever you want to go. And I'm like, what? How is there a stone that teleports you wherever you want to go? Um, All right. Why didn't we know about this once. earlier? <laughs> Um, yeah, and it's it's kind of funny because you're talking about this around the guy who's supposed to be this awesome sailor and the best boatsman right. in, in Gumbo. And he's just like, nope, right. there's no way I would ever take you. And he has a girlfriend, too. It's so funny because everyone in that town is a couple and they just they're just kind of waiting for Justin and Fina so that they can be together. <laughs> I don't know. I really like anyway. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, another thing that's important to note here is that when they're back at uh, the village, uh, Sue gets sick. She uh, passes out and she can't continue forward. Um, and so they decide to go get this uh, orb without her. Um, without her. Um, and this can allow her to recover for a moment. And the, the person taking care of her is Dr. Alma, who you met along with Gadwin in the, yeah, in the Valley of the Dragon. Yeah. And so then in order to get that orb, you go off to the mysterious Vanishing Hill, uh, which is a really strange sequence in this game. I'm not sure that I have a clear enough memory because it's been a couple months since I played this, full disclosure. Um, I, I can't remember exactly what happens to the mysterious Vanishing Hill now. It's surprisingly straightforward plot-wise. Um, okay. There's a little kind of like Ikarian technology little dais at the base of it. And that's where you're supposed to put the orb, but the orb is at the top of the hill. So you have to backtrack and get a series of keys to open various doors to get up the hill to the orb and there are these almost like robotic looking guards oh, yeah. that you have to pass at a couple points. Yeah. To get up there. Yeah. And so then once you go up there and you get the orb, you go back and Sue tells you that she can't go on with the journey anymore. She's done. She's, she's had mm-hmm. too much. Um, she can't keep up. She's too small. She's, um, there's just so, so much energy with Fina and Justin. And one of the things I loved about this moment is because and we talked about this a little bit in the first half. You know, you know, I feel like a lot of times the the play with Sue would be like, oh, she notices that Justin and Fina are falling in love and she can't handle it anymore. And that's not what it is. It's just literally, th- th- this is not who I am. It almost seems like a moment of maturity on her right. part because she she puts her foot down and says, no, guys, I'm younger than you. I'm, I'm significantly younger than you. I'm not as strong. I'm going to get sick again or sicker. If I keep going, I can't. And it's actually Justin who kind of tries to push a little bit at first because, you know, she's been there for him and he wants her to come along. But everyone eventually kind of convinces him and comes to the the decision that it's best 
for Sue to go back. And, you know, you can tell, I mean, oh, that scene got to me so much because you can tell that Sue is not happy about this on some level internally, that she feels a little bit like it's a failure on her part, but she knows she has to do it because mm-hmm. she's trying not to cry as she kind of walks past the teleportation or back to Parm. Right. And I'm not sure if we mentioned this, but um, the, the teleportation orb they end up giving to Sue ah. for use to go back to Parm, um, yes. which is, um, you know, it, it seems a little bit cheap in narratively, like they set this up and you can sort of see the plot machinations there. <laughs> but I still like that um, they have to make the sacrifice for her, even in this way, and they're willing to do it. There's no conversation about making the sacrifice. They just do it. Um, mm-hmm. And um, Justin yeah, doesn't no want to accept it. But he does. And I, I think that it is a great moment for developing the maturity of Sue, but also sort of forcing Justin to become more mature and realizing that mm-hmm. his way Learning. is everyone's way. Um, yep. Which is interesting, given that he wanted to leave her behind at the beginning, but now he's the one who's fighting it. Yeah. And they think he, he can't get used to it. And Afina going, Sue, it's okay to cry. Oh, man. Yeah. It's such a lovely moment. It's really one of my highlights of this game. Um but then maybe something even more sad happens because we lose someone who's actually good and bad, <laughs> uh, at least for me, Gadwin uh, the Beast. Because uh, then Gadwin <laughs> says, hey, uh, Justin, you're ready. You don't need me anymore. So it's time for you to go off and for you to go cross the sea on your own, which is very surprising. Maybe he's just scared yeah. of the mermaids. I think maybe he's just making an excuse because of the mermaids. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, at the same time saying, like, yes, I'm going to go train and get stronger too. Yeah. Um, and then you have to do a one-on-one duel with him again, which is, um, very, very easy. It's too, too easy. Actually. It was like a come mm-hmm. on. Like I took, a, I don't think he hit me a single time in the whole fight, but the best part, and I've talked about this he, like seven times I think now. he hit me once. He, did, he hit you once. Well, I, I mean, it, it, he's not, he just doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's definitely a fight that is designed to allow you to just keep pushing him back on the meter. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. but at the end of that fight, you learn dragon cut, which again, as I've said, maybe seven times now in this podcast is such an awesome skill for leveling yep. up the rest of your skills that the rest of the game, um, for the most part becomes much easier in the random battles. Um, but you need to abuse that skill in terms of grinding and take down a couple of the boss battles, which, which do get surprisingly difficult a couple times in, in, yes. in disc two, which is what we're about to flip over to. Mm-hmm. So then you set sail. Um, you're, you're off for, off to East Alencia. Um, yep, Gadwin gives you his boat. Yep, and you of course run into those evil mermaids. Um, <laughs> and you know what's interesting about it is that like they knew that it was a dangerous spot, and so the mermaids are like, "Hey, you need to come help us. We need help." And Justin's like, "Oh, we'll help you." And Fina's like, "Well, I this this sounds like something that." We we shouldn't do this. Seems fishy to me. Um, Weren't we warned about this? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then he does it anyway. I love the mermaid portraits, by the way. They're all sparkly with yeah. like the wavy blue hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like the way that they're presented in general, um, and I like it, and I like how stupid Justin's reaction to it is. I mean, like he he's just so like s- starstruck, and it's the first time in the whole game really you've seen him become starstruck about women in general. And I like that Fina's the one who's like, yeah, you're being a moron right now, dude. She's not jealous. She's just like, you're stupid. Um, <laughs> and I love that dynamic of it. Um, and of course they go up there and then they say, they try to go trap them. Um, and then they have to defeat the mermaids. And then afterwards, Fina is surprisingly nice about it. Um, yes. Way, she's way nicer than she needs to be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but that's actually like really where you see a scene after, after that, where they kind of have a, a real heart to heart where Justin starts to acknowledge, all right, 
maybe I have a thing for you. And, and Fina's pushing hard. <laughs> she doesn't yeah, say it she... outright in that conversation, but she is pushing hard, which I love. Yeah. Um, it's a really, uh, really sweet moment too. It's not quite as sweet as the, the light moment on the dock, but it's a really cool, cool moment too, I think. It is. You can see they're kind of working through things. You can see their process, I think, with that scene. And you can see Justin, again, I'm, I mentioned this last time around, but he made a pretty big mistake. And you can see him processing that, too. Right. And, and learning from it. And I think that's important to his maturity and sort of his growth throughout the course of the game, too. So once you arrive in East Alencia, you are pretty much accosted immediately once again. So you get to a new continent. And then something sort of bad happens almost immediately um, by uh, this group uh, from Cafu Village led by a guy named Rap, who is uh, convinced that you are one of the people who is hurting his people. And eventually you have to save one of the people who um, is in sort of his uh, – one of, one of the villagers for Rap. You, you end up saving one of them. Um, and he becomes convinced that you are maybe not part of the bad guys. And, you know – to me, I was pretty clear at that point already, like, all right, these bad guys is talking about, they must be the Garlisle forces because somehow they're everywhere. Like, it's just like this tiny mm-hmm. private, private army that somehow, like, literally has, like, footholds in every element of the world. I just really want to know who's bankrolling the Garlisle forces. Like, where is all this money coming from? Because <laughs> they don't have taxes. They're a private army. So where's all this money coming from? <laughs> Right. How did General Ball? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's true. They are completely like they're never associated with a place. I, I know we kind of we may have mentioned that, but yeah, they're not associated with a particular place. And you know that they recruit people from all over because occasionally you'll talk to a soldier and they'll mention that they're from Parm or New Parm or something. Right. And, and, it, and it's amazing, like sort of the grip on information they seem to have, too, because like everybody else in the world thinks like this is the end of the world. This is not. They don't know what's across the sea. They don't know what's here or there or anywhere. Um, right. These people know it all. And it's like it, it doesn't seem like they're, right. they're so much more advanced than the rest of the world. And where did all this technology come from? You don't see this kind they of technology literally anywhere else in yeah. the rest of the world. I, I just don't right. understand it. They have planes. Um, they're all the way over in East Valencia when most people think the the wall is the end of the world. Yeah. I mean, this is um, the fourth distinct area um, that mm-hmm. is totally separate from any other area, um, and, and somehow they're everywhere. <laughs> it's it's one of those things that as I'm playing it, I'm just like thinking, I, I don't understand how you guys are everywhere. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, and really the technology element is funny to me too. Yeah, um, I think my my brain filled in the gaps and just assumed that maybe they found some really valuable Ikarian treasure, Ikarian technology. I don't that know. would make sense. Uh, I don't know. That would make sense. <laughs> But um, you you save someone from his village, and Rap says, "Okay, you're a cool, dude." Now, and he tries to take you back to Cafu Village. And Cafu Village, they don't like outsiders. Um, and the reason they don't like outsiders is, as we were just talking about, a lot a lot of people from their village were petrified. They're all turned to stone. Um, and so outsiders are someone they don't really trust. They have a real issue yeah. with another tribe, which we'll talk a little bit more about from Lane Village. So- and once again, they kind of think they've, like, lost the goodwill of the spirits. Right, um, which and is they- what everyone thinks here. So Rap says, well, that's that's nonsense. Uh, I'm going to go off with you guys. And so then we get a new party member. We get Rap, uh, which I wish I was more excited about because Rap is <laughs> okay. Um, I don't really know what his strengths in battle are. I just gave him earth spells and just had him cast <laughs> earth spells over and over again. Um, and yeah, he had, like, he's- one skill that was okay, but, yeah. <laughs> I'd say he's your fast party member. He starts with projectiles. He can also use knives. He's a decent 
caster. But uh, Fina was faster than him the whole time for me, but maybe it's just the way that I built Fina. Uh, but Fina was always... That's true. Her meter was moving way faster than his all the time. I, I mean, it was nice to have another, like, damage sponge and someone to occasionally heal, but he doesn't come with... He only comes with two magic spells, uh, two magic things unlocked, and you have to find two more mana eggs uh, to make him more useful, and his magic is not very developed when you get him either. Um, so he just always no, fell not. behind for me. Um, and especially compared to yeah. the real fourth, the, the final fourth party member, or even one of the ones we get from Lane Village in a moment here, um, he just oh, is man. never, never nearly as useful to me. Um, he, he was just always playing support, and he was dead half the time, and I didn't even revive him um, <laughs> when he was, oh. because he just didn't do that much in battle for me. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he and he's not one of my favorite characters either. I mean, he's just sort of like your standard, like, I don't know, young... Um, like daughter or son of the village elder and he's not going to do what you say and he's like got a slightly sharp mouth and that's i'm going it. yeah i'm going against your traditions yeah i, I mean yeah. to me rap is maybe the least interesting party member we get here and that's amazing because well, there's like a little girl party member in this and usually i find those particular characters <laughs> to be really poorly characterized in video games but yes, no i think rap Rap is the one who I think is not... I mean, he's not funny. Usually that those, those characters are funny. He's not funny. Um, Sue is funny. Yeah, but... Sue is funny. Sue's amazing. Um, yeah, it's a, oh well. Um, oh well. Um, at that point, he uh, Rap decides to take you to the Tower of Doom, which is where yeah. the people who have petrified his parents are located, he thinks, um, and also mm-hmm. a large portion of his village. They believe that it's because of something that they've done, right? Yeah, I mean, they believe it's because they've allowed outsiders and they become too lenient. I think there's a moment I liked with um, Justin and Rap because you have to go through the petrified forest to get to the tower, and they stop at his parents' stones, and Rap has buffed them so they're completely like round. Yeah, and you know the part that bothers me about that is what is like what if they become unpetrified? I don't know. How are they? How are they going to be reanimated if they're just a round thing? Do they just reform? Yeah, yeah. I, I hope so. Um, yeah. But they have a moment of Justin saying, you know, let's, let's go to the tower and stop this right now. So they do. And of course you run into the guard, you run into the girl out forces here, right? Is that right? Yeah. It's their tower. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And um, you also run into your next um, visitor party member who I like a lot. Oh, Milda's great. Melda. Melda's amazing, and she hits so hard, and her personality is so big, and so <laughs> I mean, she's Milda is great. Um, yes. She plays like sort of the the tropey, like you know, very strong woman type who doesn't like seem like you know very intellectual or whatever. But I don't care. Um, she's just delightful. Um, and her relationship with her husband, which who, who we'll meet later, is just really beautiful um, and funny and amusing. And man, she hits like a truck. And that's what I like best. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she is from the neighboring village of Lane, which you find out Kefu Village has a beef with Lane. And so the two of them are bickering and you actually have to fight her at first right outside this, this yeah. doom tower, which doesn't seem very practical. Um, <laughs> but then, <laughs> but then after the fight, you know, you, you take her to a storehouse, keep kind of keep her safe. And she starts to go, wait a minute. Like you, you know, you didn't leave me for, for them to find me. So maybe you're not all bad. And that's sort of the turning point where she and rap and everyone kind of 
realize they have the common goal of taking down the Garlisle forces who have been causing trouble and you proceed through the dungeon. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, (laughs) and and one of the things that happens after, after you finish that dungeon, uh, is you go back to Cafu, um, and they say, no, well, we like, we'll we'll accept these two new ones Mm -hmm. now, but we can't, we can't have Milda. And, you know, I, I like the way that, um, this game deals with people who are on opposite sides of conflicts, um, so consistently well. I mean, outside of Ball, who is just like a force of evil, um, everybody else in this game, to some degree, has good intentions. Like, you really don't meet many truly evil people throughout mm-hmm. the course of this game. And it, it just shows the ways in which conflicts build um, from misunderstanding, uh, which is one of my favorite, like, sort of storytelling devices. Um, it's one of the, I, I love Suikoden for that reason. Um, but mm-hmm. I think that Grandia, in, in a, a very different way, seems to really have that philosophy driving a lot of what's happening in the plot. Definitely. Um, and just to backtrack for a quick minute, at the end of the tower, you, you do find out something kind of interesting and important. You find that, out important. that yeah, <laughs> you find out that the, the Garlisle forces have been cultivating this weird, evil plant force called Gaia and that that's yeah. what's kind of been corrupting things in, in the area. And you take a sprout and you are going to take it back to Kefu, but you get stopped. And I think it's it's Lean that stops you, right? I believe so. Takes this route back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the one who stops you, which again goes back to that idea of Lean sort of being all over the place uh, with the way things go. But yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think that she um, again uh, her her arc is so interesting, um, and it, it's still a believable moment despite the fact that she literally just gave you the Spirit Stone back like you know three dungeons ago um, because she is so conflicted but yeah i mean it, gaia is it is an interesting sort of villain um you don't find out much about him at this point except for that he's just like sort of this like giant like i don't know brain squid looking thing um it's pretty gross uh and you don't really get a feel for what what it's there for or what its purpose is but it sort of turns out that this is sort of the the ultimate evil that you end up fighting against so i, I have sort of a thing against gaia because i think that he overwhelms the plot in a way that hurts it um, but I, I will say that in terms of gross factor, guys definitely got it going on. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I would say like, it's not a bad introduction overall to, you know, the, the ultimate evil of the plot. Cause yeah, definitely, definitely guy kind of ends up being an overwhelming force, but you, I kind of like how it's a slower step in the process of, you know, something evil is going on with the Garlisle forces. The game opens with them having some sort of mm-hmm. nondescript plan and I like the way that with this scene, they're they're handing you a, a little bit, a snippet of it, to, kind of giving you a glimpse first instead of just suddenly it's overwhelming. Right. They, they don't Final Fantasy it, you know, where yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> here here's the real evil force behind it all at the end. And and, and I like that it it's having a real impact on people around you. My problem with the way Gaia is presented is that it sort of gets, it overwhelms the plot in such a way that it sort of loses um, the rhythm of the game. Like, I feel like it yeah. loses its spirit because um, it's just all about Ball and Gaia and Ball and Gaia. And you don't really know at this point the degree to which Gaia is such an important and destructive force. So if it had just stayed, I think, as this thing that just sort of ruins people's lives in these individual villages, um, and then you're going through and saving them or moving things in the right direction in a different way, that to me would have would have felt good. Um, but it it's, would have been more consistent. Yeah. yeah. 
but it is that overwhelming sort of darkness uh, that Gaia brings to the tone that for me hurts it a little bit. I can, I can see that. So it is at at this point that we decide after we are kicked out of Kefu village, basically, because Rap says, yeah, I'm not, I'm still not doing this, um, that you tell Milda what your goal is, which is Mm -hmm. to get to Alent. And she says, oh, well, you should go talk to the three wise men in my village of Lane because they know the way to Alent. And coincidence, of course. Um, But then you make your way to you make your way to Alent. Um, and you, you have a couple of stopovers on the way there. You make a stop in Zilpadan, where uh, Guido is from. And I can't remember, does anything super significant happen in Zilpadan the first time you stop there? I don't think um, so. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. It's I think noteworthy is it's kind of like a cross section. It's in in the middle of the desert and you see refugees from some different areas coming together, so kind of building up toward that like overwhelming evil of Gaia, you can see that like lots of terrible things are happening to individual villages, individual people. Many of groups are headed for Zilpadan. Um, and other than running into Guido again, who he, he's the elder, right? If I'm remembering correctly, like he has a significant role in the village. Yeah. Um, he, is he the elder of Zilpadan? I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's really strange that he's traveling the world while he's the elder I, I, even, even when I think I knew that, I found that a little bit confusing. I'm like, how are you literally all over the world? Um, because you've been help, he's been helping you sort of along the way. Um, and I think we forgot to mention that you see him when you're leaving, um, when you first arrive on this continent and he tells you some <laughs> more things about, um, Alent, um, and then he like lets you stay in his tent. Um, but then he charges you a hundred, a hundred bucks for it. Um, so, yeah. um, and, and it sort of fits as you find out that, that he um, sort of runs uh, the the Moge the Moge sort of um, have a um, sort of tradesman culture where they're sort of you know moving goods back and forth and so that matches who he is but it, it's sort of funny. It is especially he really kind of sets you up before he charges you in the morning. It kind of sets you up for like oh okay this is a mysterious guidance scene and maybe I'll see him again and why is he helping me and then the next morning he's sort of like oh okay. I guess he, guess he wanted the money a little bit. It's, it's kind of funny. Yeah, it is funny. I agree. So after you leave Zilpadan, uh, you move through a couple of additional uh, dungeons. And we haven't really talked about this, but in order to get to Zilpadan, you have to go through a desert. And then when you leave there, you go through a desert. And then you go through the plateau. I mean, there are like just like... One of the things, and listeners, you've probably noticed that we're having a hard time sometimes keeping track of what's happening at any given moment, and it's because the dungeons all look the same. <laughs> they all feel the same. You're going through the same sorts of things. Um, and, and that's not a criticism of the game in general necessarily, but it does make it feel like it's hard to keep track of what happens where, even when I'm literally looking at it in front of my face. And I feel like that's not so much the case with the towns and even the dungeons sometimes, but those areas that you have to traverse to get to and from dungeons or to and from towns, like the plains, the forests, the deserts, the plateaus, they, they really do kind of blend. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times they're not too terribly difficult to navigate, so which is probably why I don't have too much of a problem with it. They're much easier to navigate than the dungeons are and even sometimes yeah. the towns, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> they definitely have a sort of flavor of blandness and sameness, which I think sometimes... Um, makes it difficult to distinguish because as I'm thinking about how you move from these places, I'm just like, don't you just go through like dungeon after dungeon. The nice part though, is that again, at least when you get in fights, you're using the ground, you have battle system, which is still a delight here. So 
that's always good. Yes. Um, so once you get to Lane Village, you meet, um, you, first of all, one of my favorite scenes in the whole, in the whole game. <laughs> it turns out that one of the uh, village elders is, and I'm not sure how to, descri- <laughs> how to describe his species. How would you describe the species of Milda's husband? Giant, I don't know. Oh man, like, like sort of like, kind of like mythological bull creature, maybe. Yeah, but he also looks like kind of like a sea creature. He's like more bulbous than yeah. a bull. Um, I don't know. It looks real weird and real goofy. And Nilda <laughs> is really, really serious um, and very tough. And, and uh, she is desperately in love with uh, this village elder who she calls Darlin because his name is actually Darlin, um, which seems like it might be cute Darlin. on the nose, but it is totally adorable in this game. Yeah, seeing... <laughs> As silly as it is, seeing them together is it's pretty pretty joyful and fun to fun to watch. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I, I think it's a I think that that that's it's so surprising too. Um, again, it, yeah. we're still in the in the section of the game where I thought it was still maintaining that spirit of optimism um, at this point, and I thought that it, it did a great job with that here. Um, so when you're in Lane Village, it turns out you have to go talk to the three village elders, and they will tell you, "Here's how you get to a Lent." So, okay, so you go, you talk to Darlin, and he's like, okay, he tells you some information about Angelou and how it's an ancient civilization and that Alent um, is related to um, the Ikarians in some way, but he's not super hyper-specific about it. Um, and then he says, okay, right. now I'm going to send you to Durlin, which is the name of the other village elder. And he he's the one who really right. knows how to get into Alent. And right, then, so it's kind of a collective effort between the three wise men to figure yeah. out the complete picture of how to get there. Yeah. And then Durlin tells you some information about it again, um, where he tells you that it's like this, you know, important thing. But then my favorite conversation is you have to go talk to a guy named Dorlin, who he says like, yeah, you can go talk to Dorlin, but he doesn't, he's not really himself right now. Uh, you go talk <laughs> yep. to him and he forgets everything during the conversation. Like every time you talk to him, um, uh, like the conversations oh. you had with Dorlin, I thought were amazing. And I love that they're Darlin, Dorlin, and Dorlin. Um, yep. It's so goofy um, that... It, like I said, it, it fits with this game perfectly. It's a nice touch. It, yeah, it is. Um, but then it turns out that you have to go find Dorlin's horn in the abandoned lane village. Again, area that's been corrupted. Um, this time it's really weird, like warped reality kind of is how I've, I would describe it. So there's teleporting and... Oh, man. I had sort of forgotten until you just told me about this. And I said yeah. the dungeon design. I think maybe before we started recording, I said the dungeon design got better in the second <laughs> half. And now I just remembered that I lied. Because, oh I'm... my gosh, I hated this dungeon. I got yeah. lost so many times. All the d- different yeah. teleporters. Um, and, I, I mean, I think I spent an hour in this dungeon. Um, without without any exaggeration. And it was incredibly frustrating. Like, the different types of realities you're walking through. And yep. there's like these houses that are in the abandoned village. You can't really figure out where they go. And it is Grandia dungeon design at its absolute worst. I mean, it's clever. I'll give it that. It's not just confusing. It's cleverly confusing. So there's that, I guess. You know, I, I had to attempt it in a few different sittings. <laughs> um, I will admit that. Yeah. And I I think I've, depending on my mood, I kind of fluctuated between, all right, 
I'm okay with, you know, this being cleverly confused and then just being frustrated. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I was just frustrated. Um, I, I'm certain I was, and I'm certain I, I was playing on switch. Thank God, because I was able to, uh, hit suspend about every five minutes after <laughs> I got really angry so that I did not throw my switch because I was playing it in handheld and it did. Oh, not no. Um, maybe not the right idea when you're going through a Grandia dungeon, <laughs> but you do get the horn in the abandoned lane village. And then you go back, and you give the horn to Dorlin, and he is back to himself again. And he tells you that you need the medal of... He gives you the medal of knowledge, right? Or does he tell you to go get the medal of knowledge? Back in... There's more information about it in Zilpadan. It's in a temple, of course. So you have to go to yet another temple Yeah. to get so the medal, which you need to get passage to yeah. Alent. Right. Yep. So then you go back off to Zilpadan... Um, you meet with, uh, Guido there and he tells you how to get in. And I found it really confusing because you have to drain a, you have to drain the fountain of, in the middle oh, of Zilpadon right. yeah. to get into it. But then somehow I, I couldn't figure out how to get down the stairs into the fountain. I think it took me 10 minutes to figure out how to get down the stairs into the fountain this time. I remember being a little confused at that point too, but also just, I, I kind of appreciate the fact that they had this these Rubrins, this dungeon kind of in the middle of one of the towns, because that's not something you saw all of that often in this era of RPG. Yeah, it's true. I guess I hadn't really thought about that before. Something I sort of take for granted nowadays, I think, that there's like some like mm -hmm. underground dungeon that you have to go through. Uh, whereas here, it's not It's not a given. That's interesting. Yeah, I never thought about that before. Um, but the Zill Ruins are really long. Um, they're one of the longer dungeons um, in this yep. game, if I remember correctly. Um, and some pretty eventful things happen. Um, uh, this is really where the plot starts to pick up um, because you're on your way to Alent um, and they are trying to keep you away from getting there. Um, mm -hmm. As you're going down uh, into the ruins to get the metal, oh, and I think I forgot to mention that Guido actually joins your party here because Milda, um, and I apologize, uh, Milda decides to stay back in lane. She doesn't come along no. with you, which is really, really depressing um, because... What makes it even more depressing is that Guido joins your party. And I know I've complained a lot about rap and Sue not being useful in battle. <laughs> but man, Guido doesn't do a whole lot of anything. He doesn't He doesn't start with many skills. You don't have him for very long. Um, I don't think you can even give him mana eggs, right? I don't think so. I don't think he has any magic. Unless I'm misremembering. I <laughs> Probably the right call. Because um, he's not in your party for very long. Uh, but no. because it's such a long dungeon, like I remember having him for a long time, I think. <laughs> Yeah, it, it felt like a long time. Um, and so it's it's frustrating to go through that dungeon. But um, as you go through that dungeon and once you get the metal, at the bottom of the Zill Ruins, uh, Fina's captured. And it's because Ball um, is finally deciding to sort of come out of his den and sort of take a more active role in this. And so he takes her onto his ship, the Grandeur. And, and, and the Grandeur is, is one of the more... Um, memorable dungeons for me in lots of different ways. It's a pretty long dungeon because you have to find your way through it in order to go save Fina. But what... I remember being so impatient at that point. Yeah. Like, no, yeah. I, I, I was just like, I, I was just done. Um, but <laughs> it's also at that point that you have to fight um, Saki, Mio and Nana. Nana. Uh, I'm sorry. All the names. Um, oh. All the names. Uh, you have to fight all three of them as you're going through this. And this to me is the most challenging battle in the entire game. It's um, rough. Because uh, they all hit really hard. One of them inflicts status effects. Lots of them, they have like lots of area effect attacks. 
And if they're all three of them are alive, they do a thing called a trini- Trinity attack, which I feel like they do like all the time. Uh, if you leave all yeah. three of them alive, they did like they spam Trinity attack, which seems very un- yeah. I was surprised how often they were able to do that, and it's it's that plus all the little things that made them annoying when you fought them individually, like the status effects. Right, and you put all three of them together, and you know it, you just don't have the party member power um, that you've had earlier either, and no. it. it I mean, I, I died on this fight maybe four or five times, and it wasn't like I didn't pause to occasionally grind up some skills, um, even though I was in a hurry when I played it. And really, that fight just came down to luck. Um, was I able to take one of them down quickly enough in mm-hmm. order to do it? And I, I mean, I did like that it it sort of forced me to engage with the strategy of grinding in a way that lots of fights don't, which is so – it was so much about trying to delay their attacks. Because if I could keep yes. that Trinity attack back, keep that Trinity attack back, I was able to engage with the fight more effectively. But um, eventually they're going to hit you anyway. Um, but if you can keep them from attacking you and eventually manage to take down just one of the sisters and mm-hmm. still have, like, everybody standing, then you're golden. But the hard yeah. part is having everyone standing at the end of that fight. It was. And, yeah, I mean, I think my strategy was just countering them and canceling them as much as I could to, the, to delay that yeah. Combined attack. I was really bad at canceling in this game. I feel like there is such a limited period of time where, because you have to use uh, the critical attack as opposed to the double hit attack to cancel, and the critical attack takes a little bit longer. And so because it takes a little bit longer, I felt like I was frequently not getting my hit in, which is actually something that changes a lot in Grandia too. Having played that really recently, you have a much longer cancel window. So canceling becomes like essential in Grandia too, because it's a little bit harder actually. And if you don't cancel attacks, you will die very quickly. Whereas here, it's more about delaying attacks, I think. You can manage, yeah. Yeah. And so then you get to the top. Once you get to the top of the grandeur, and I apologize, listeners, we forgot to mention a, an important, a really important uh, detail that happened uh, a little while ago here uh, back in the city of Cafu, because when you go back to Cafu from the Tower of Doom, um, it's actually under attack uh, by the Garlisle forces, um, and it is under attack by, like, different versions of Gaia. And while you're there, um, during the conflict, Lean is there, and you discover that Lean is, in fact, an Akarian, which is one of what you believe at this point is part of some, like, sort of... I, don't, I think at this point we believe that they're sort of an ancient race, right? We don't have a clear idea yeah. at this point of who they are. Um, yeah, they're, they're associated with Angelou and... Yeah, which means that she has extra magic powers and she has wings and she can fly and she is like a, a huge part of all the mythology of this world, um, which is very confusing to Fina when she sees it because she's like, hey, how are you an Akarian because we're sisters? Um, that's weird. How is that? How is that a thing? So anyway, fast forward back to the grandeur. So once the grandeur starts going down, we then realize, because Fina has to save Justin, she sprouts some wings as well, and she saves Justin. And so we realize at that moment that Fina is also a member, which you discover is important later. Um, and I guess we can jump ahead a little bit here to explain who they are. So it turns out that the Ikarians are um, these always these two twin sisters who are born when... Uh, Gaia comes out because Gaia is this overwhelming force that is going to try to destroy the world. And then the Ikarian um, sisters have to sacrifice themselves in order to keep Gaia at bay for a little bit longer um, until humans become so selfish that they will go seek out Gaia to then use his powers to destroy the world again, which becomes clarified later with some statues and things like that. And Mullen realize, or Ball realizing um, that Ikarians are always twins. 
Yes. Anyway, so I, I actually think that the plot out of the way, I think that's a pretty effective moment. I was surprised by it. I was not expecting her to be an Akarian the first time I played it. Even the second time I played it, I didn't remember. Um, and um, it, I, I think that um, the way they play with Fina's characterization in terms of being an Akarian um, doesn't feel cheap. Um, and it feels like it ends up blending pretty well to me. She, at this point, though, because she's an Akarian, ends up getting, like, kidnapped so frequently that I get a little tired of, like, constantly having to have Justin, like, chase Fina. But I, I thought that was mostly handled pretty well. Yeah, agreed. I think you got right to the core of it. I'm a little bit conflicted. Like, I had a feeling, but I wasn't entirely... I was still surprised. I think it was an effective way of delivering the information. And, you know, a pretty emotionally evocative one. Like, she's she's doing it to save Justin, who she cares deeply about, which is, which is great. And at least I can understand the Garlisle forces needing her at, at that point, but it still is incredibly frustrating. Yeah, I mean, it, getting just, kidnapped. Yeah, frequently. yeah. I, I don't like that as like sort of a narrative uh, device. I don't like it as I don't like losing Fina for my party because she's a, my like essential healer at this point, and she moves way faster than everyone. So please stop taking one of my best characters away from me. At least she's one of the one of your best characters, right? Um, but it ends up taking away um, some of her agency. I think um, like you make her like this all powerful yep. thing. Um, but I feel like she ends up becoming yeah, like, less interesting. Yeah, but she's She is a tool. Yeah, she's less interesting, though. I mean, like, it, I, I feel like she's her, her conflict is happening in a way that feels less true to me than the way Lean's conflict ends up happening. Because it, yeah. it feels like she just, like, sort of shifts gears a lot faster. Um, and, like, she ends up saying things later, like, oh, this is just something I have to do. I'm like, I haven't seen enough to make me buy that you believe that. You've been by Justin's side every time. You guys have made everything work out. And now you're just going to, like, continue to say, I've got to do it this way. I don't know. I, I didn't buy it. Um, but I, I do. I do now like, you're being resigned. Yeah. yeah. I do like this moment, though. <laughs> the moment you find out she's an Akarian, I think, is cool. Um, but luckily, once you get once, yeah. once you guys uh, land um, from the grandeur, or land, I mean, I guess once, once the grandeur crashes and you land, because <laughs> um, Fina, um, you finally, finally, finally. Yep get to go to Alent. Um, they basically say, like, eh, this is all just sort of a test. Like, we've always known where Alent is. It's out back. Um, you just have to go up that mountain over there, and then you're good, um, which I think is really funny. But it turns oh. out that Alent is literally right behind Lane Village. Um, and you go up, you go up this rainbow bridge, and then it turns out that Alent is, uh, like, sort of almost like this space station, I think. Seems to be. Is my read correct on that? It's it's a, that's, that's how it looked to me. It's a really interesting design, too. Yeah, um... It looks sort of like vaguely science fiction-y, but it's also got some weird fantasy elements in it. The design is very strange to me. I'm not really sure what they what they were going for with it, um, except for like yeah. the magical, technological, like it's throw all those things together here and like, oh, it's in space. Because yeah. of course it's in space. Yeah. Now that you mention it, that's just kind of, I felt that way all along about most of the Alint related slash Ikarian related relics. And I I felt that way. Ever since we saw that statue in the museum that Justin broke, right. honestly, like there's this weird fusion of like futuristic and fantasy and yeah, some of it's kind of jarring. And even the characters make comments about it sometimes as well. Like, yeah, there are these giant eyes everywhere in their architecture and in their art. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there doesn't seem to be any sort of like a consistency of vision. I mean, it's, it's all kind of weird and cool. So I guess I'll take it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but when you get to Alent, 
And this is sort of where uh, the, the, the plot dump happens, of course, because a Lent is a Lent. Um, but it's not nearly as, like, you know, magical or amazing as you would think it would be, since it's being the space station in the sky, um, because there's really no one there. Um, you think you're going to probably run into, like, this ancient civilization, but it's really just Liette and lots of copies of Liette. Liette. <laughs> <laughs> um, who info dump lots of things on you, who tell you, okay, Gaia's been around forever, and the Angelou civilization was destroyed by Gaia because they became too greedy, um, and humans continue to destroy, and then the Ikarians are the ones who continually have to be reborn and to save us over and over and over and over again. And one of the uh, versions of Liette that you run into says some like really weird slang thing. I can't remember exactly what she says, um, but it's really weird. She's like, oh, I hear this is how humans speak on Earth, which then is not the way that Liette herself is characterized later, which is a little bit weird, but whatever. But and it's and it's weird that she refers to it as Earth too. I always I always get a kick of when yeah RPGs do that. Yeah, like well, what, this isn't Earth. Trust me, <laughs> Our continents do not look like this. We do not have mermaids, which I'm very disappointed about. Yeah, but what, once you actually meet Liette, she says, you know, um, we we every every new Liette they're reborn, you know, um, and every new Liette has a tablet, and if it's red or uh, red is good, right? Uh, and if it's yeah. blue, it means it's sad. Um, and They're she thinks, sad, yes. And she thinks hers will be sad uh, because the world's about to be destroyed, so that would certainly make, uh, I think, someone who's looking over the Earth and trying to protect it pretty sad. So then she actually decides <laughs> to join you. Liet, awesome. I I always kind of, I don't know, I, I thought that was such an interesting motivation for her. <laughs> Just like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't want my tablet to be like this. I want to have an active role right. and make sure my tablet is red. Yeah, it's always like, I'm confused, like, why didn't you do that earlier? Like, she, like it doesn't take much convincing. Like, they talk for, like, no. three minutes, and then she's like, all right, I'll, I'll go down with you guys. Cool. I mean, thank, thank you, but... Yeah. yeah. Thank you, because you have all the magic. All the magic. She's so useful in battle, um, especially in random <laughs> battles. I mean, I feel like she was cleaning up mobs for me, just, like, left yep. and right. Um, really all the lower power, yeah. All the lower power mobs. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't really have much of a personality, um, pretty much, throughout the rest of the game, but I don't care... Because um, her ability to use magic and her lightning magic, her zap magic is already there. Zap magic is very powerful in this game. Doesn't she have like a special set of spells? She does, yeah. And so does Fina at this point too. Once yep. you find out that she's an Ikarian, she, um, if you have the right skill sets, um, can get these very high magic output um, spells like End of the World and Yggdrasil. Um, <laughs> they all have cool names. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> she has high-end spells. Liette has high-end spells. So I think both of them um, are almost equally useful. I mean, Fina's still much faster, but uh, Liette's a little bit more powerful. You know, I didn't think, pick up on this or think about it quite as much a long time ago when I played the game, but Liette's role and the Lean and Fina's are actually pretty similar. You know, they're they're reborn and they have this very clear role yeah. and Liette decides to break out of hers and we'll get to what happens with Lean and Vina. Yeah, just a it's kind of interesting how similar their stories are now yeah. that I'm thinking about it. That's true. Yeah, sort of this idea of both of them. Yeah, I've never really thought about that before. It's an interesting idea. Um, I like that, yeah. But if I'm not mistaken, you guys actually, uh, you fall from uh, from a Lent um, in a very sort of <laughs> frightening moment. And everyone's like screaming and like, what is happening? And I, I, if you're literally falling through space, I can imagine I would be scared too. And then you fall down to the uh, Luzette Mountains and then you end up going to um, a base of the Garlisle forces. And this time, you're not a bad guy anymore, right? Yeah. You go in there with the, with the expectation that Ball might still be there. You might 
not be welcomed, but it turns out that Mullen and Lean are mutinying, basically. Right. So, and it's it's a surprising moment um, that they're doing it at this point because I think he realizes that um, if he gets a spirit stone, that Ball is going to try to destroy the world. So they start mutinying against Ball, um, and they actually sort of show you the way to go um, yes. chase after him into these underground railway ruins, which I don't really remember the dungeon very well for these ruins, but the boss is probably, I think, the second hardest in the game here, too. Because um, you fight Ball, and Ball this time, you, you fought him previously, and he's kind of a pushover, but this time he, like, sort of fuses with Gaia, and he has, like, these long, like, tentacly arms, um, and he can, like, hit you, like, in five different ways with status effects and area of effect things. It's not quite as hard, I thought, as the fight we talked about earlier, I definitely got through it. It was not easy, but I got through it faster than the uh, three lieutenants. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, he escapes, and this is when things really hit the fan. <laughs> yep, he, he he completes his fusion. Yeah, and then it becomes sort of an international threat, um, something you mm-hmm. have to take care of at some point. Uh, you at, you end up um, going on to uh, another ship for the Garlisle forces, the Lion Lot, um, and there is a huge argument about how you're going to deal with this threat. I, I think this is probably the sequence um, on the ship and then when there is the attack on Zilpidon, where I think it's one of the most effective sort of sequences in the game for this section. Um, it, it's it's very like sort of end of the world um, and everyone's sort of arguing like how is it we need to take care of it because how are we going to break this cycle of the Ikarians constantly having to sacrifice themselves Mullen's answer is force, force, force. That's Lean's answer. That's even Fina's answer at some point as well. But right. it doesn't end up being the final answer here. Uh, what did you think of that whole sequence? I I thought it was pretty intense. Honestly, I was very, very invested in it. Especially the way they you know, only have that limited when Zilpidon's under attack. First off, you you get hit with the realization that you're working with most of the Garlisle forces as you knew them, but then right after that, you you're kind of limited in the area that you can go to. Only I think only the Savannah and Zilpidon are selectable, and you go there, and it's immediately attacked. And there's a series where you have to do a lot of what you've been doing all along and save people from from enemies. And Lean, I think Lean will like lead you along a little bit through there, but it's I think it's really effective in getting the point across that something's got to change because it's not sustainable kind of what you've been doing as, as much as I love the tone of the first half in the game, you really get, it drives the point home that that's not really a sustainable way to deal with this threat anymore, that it's kind of overwhelming. Right. Um, but I, I, I think that um, the way that they come to the decision uh, about what needs to happen and the power that Fina has and, and lean and, and how they come to it is a little bit, forced and a little bit cheesy like you sort of know what's going to happen here you know that you're not going like, to yeah. you know, fire off these cannons um and in order to make sure that fina and justin have the opportunity to be the ones to then go try to find gaia and be the one to take him down um this is where lean makes a decision and says you know fina no you're you're actually more powerful as an occurring than me because you have belief and like if you said it some other way i might find it less cheesy Lean sacrifice, so Lean has to sacrifice herself. And, you know, when, when Lean sacrifices herself, I think that it is, um, it's a really beautiful moment in terms of, like, giving you that idea of 
how important the bond between the two sisters is here. Um, and also the significance of the bond between Justin and Fina. Um, so I think that's a really, really powerful moment personally. It's, it is an incredibly powerful moment. Just the way she, um, addresses everyone. And, and if I'm not mistaken, she kind of takes over the communication system and she, she does. doesn't, like, and she on, doesn't, on all the TVs. she doesn't give the others very much of a choice. It's, it's an interesting moment for her and Justin too, because she kind of claims that he's shown her a different way of looking at things. And that's part of why she has to do this. And she believes that he'll figure out how to break this cycle. Right. And he sort of does. Um, there, there's a sequence where um, after this happens, of course, everybody is devastated that Lean has sacrificed herself. Mullen's really upset. But I, I like that they there's a little bit of a change in heart in Mullen sort of recognizing that sacrifice. It's, a, it's, it's right after that Lean makes the sacrifice that he has sort of a change in heart. So after Lean makes her sacrifice, Fina ends up sort of thinking that she has to take on the role of taking down Gaia. And Mullen has a conversation with Fina about that and gets her to go on to the ship with her. It's a really tense moment because she talks to Mullen. She talks to Justin. Justin's insisting to Mullen and Fina that there's a different way to do this. Like Fina certainly doesn't have to sacrifice herself, but he can't explain what that is. Yeah. And it's at this moment that Justin's at his lowest. He he thinks he's just going to give up. Like, oh, Fina's gone. I can't do this without Fina. I'm all done. And Rap, in one of the few moments that I actually will give him some props for, uh, he says, like, you're a jerk. I don't want to do this with you. You're the worst. Um, and even Liette's like, yeah, uh, you're not you're, – I don't know who you are. I don't know why you were the person who was chosen to be able to come to a Lent if you can't do this. Um, and, and so they, they all sort of give him a talking to – um, and it's actually Guido, if I'm not mistaken, right, who is the one who sort of breaks him of his uh, inability to move forward. Because they're really, really not sure what to do. And I remember him going to Guido and Guido saying, you know, well, in order to save the most important thing to you, which is Fina, in this case, you need to draw on all your resources and work with everyone. Right. And go do it. Yeah, and you have to go figure it out. And that's when um, he's told about the spirit sword and the Angelus civilization and the spirits in general – um, call on him. It's at that moment when he makes the decision that he's going to move forward. They call on him and they say, okay, we're going to take you to the spirit sanctuary now. And that's where he gets the spirit sword, which is a really, really powerful weapon. Um, I was kind of rolling with axes before this, but once I got the spirit sword, <laughs> I, I was using that spirit sword for the remainder of the game, which is not very long. Um, no. But um, it, it, it's a really super powerful weapon. And, and, you know, and I think that I like that there is at least one moment of doubt with Justin too. It feels realistic um, consistently when Fina is taken away from you over and over and over again. And then Fina gives up too. Um, I think I would have given up if I was him too. Um, I'm less likely to believe that Fina would have given up than him because it, I feel like after your sister makes that sacrifice, it seems strange to me. But um, Justin giving up, I understand. Yeah. I had to do some thinking about that with Fina too. I was It was kind of an interesting exercise in like, well, if I had a loss like Fina did, would that make me resolve to do things differently or would I feel like I was dishonoring them if I weren't willing to do the same thing? You know, it's, it's an interesting question. Yeah. But you, you go into the J base, you convince her to leave while Mullen still continues to try to do um, sort of the fire on Gaia thing. And then you sort of find your way within Gaia because Gaia has grown to like this, this being of massive proportions, of course, because yeah. <laughs> things go. Uh, I, I mean, at always you end up going into Gaia um, to fight Gaia and take Gaia down. 
What did you think of the final, the final, final dungeon besides it just sort of being very gross? Oh, it took me a little while to get over that, that gross out yeah. factor. It really, really did. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, it took me a while. I'm not going to lie. It took me a while to get through. Um, but I felt like it was pretty steady. Yeah. Overall. I, I didn't have too much trouble with the dungeon. I mean, I got turned around in it a little bit, but it wasn't too bad. There were like these moving areas, uh, that were like tendons or something, I guess. I don't know. Um, I thought the random battles were much harder. Um, and so I certainly struggled and there were a lot fewer save points. Um, like you had to fight lots of different versions of Gaia and lots of different, uh, bosses. And unlike the rest of this game, where usually in the rest of this game, you can just like, you know, when a boss fight's coming because, Hey, there's a save point. There's a boss fight in the next room. Um, and the save point also lets you heal all the way here. You were having multiple boss fights without having a save point in between. So I found that a little bit challenging because resource management was not something I had to do before this in this game. Right. Now that you mention it, I, I think I did get stuck and had to backtrack a little bit because I didn't manage my resource and I needed some healing items, which I hadn't been using actually same now way. that you mention it very much at all because you can recover at the save points. Like I just hadn't needed to right. so much. And I'd been using healing items or, or healing spells. And so at this point, yeah. like I, I was on the final boss. Uh, so you eventually you fight like multiple versions of Gaia, of course. Um, and he's not terribly challenging except for the fact that I did not have enough healing items. Um, yeah. and, and I, I ran out. Um, and I got really lucky. I think it was just Liette who was alive when I finally took, um, the boss down. Um, she just fired off like <laughs> the last spell of MP she had because all my MP was out, all my HP was out. Right. Um, and it, I don't think it would have been too much of a problem if I had pulled the items out appropriately and sort of known what was coming. So it felt like sort of out of line with the rest of the game. I didn't have a huge problem with it because I did like being challenged in a different way. Um, but yeah. I certainly found it to be a challenge. Right. And it, it required a bit of a shift near the end game, I would say, with the slew of bosses and increase in difficulty of enemies. I hadn't had to think too much about what was in my inventory, just making sure I had something there and that everyone was decently equipped. Yeah. yeah Battle of attrition had not been the way this game had gone. It had been like who acts first. So you got to slow this person mm -hmm. down. And if you manage to do it, you'll have the healing and you'll have the things to make the fight work. But with these ones, we had you know, not multiple parts that had 9,999 HP mm -hmm. um, and all these other things. And so it was just, again, it, resource management had not been what the game was. But again, like I said, I, I liked it. It was different. It was unique. Yeah. Um, I thought the battle was fair. It, it wasn't quite as difficult as some of the previous ones, but um, I had more trouble because I just didn't have the stuff for it. Yeah, I, had to, I think I had to go back and I leveled up some healing magic a little bit. I wasn't quite there. <laughs> yeah. No, and that makes sense. That totally makes sense to me. Um, after you defeat Gaia, um, the world is saved. Everybody loves you. And everything's over. Yay. So the ending is, is pretty normal, except I love the very final sequence, um, which is where it's, it's 10 years later, um, and it's being narrated by Sue. And she says, oh, you know, for the first time, Justin and Fina are returning. And I'll admit that I actually like maybe got a little bit emotional here <laughs> yeah. ending, uh, because then Justin and Fina are married. They've been adventuring around the world for 10 years. And they have all these children. And when the children come off of the boat, they both look just like miniature versions of Justin and Fina. And Fina. <laughs> it's so very cute. And Sue is like grown up and she sounds more mature and you can see what she looks like. And I like that you get to follow her and it's in, it's in Parm sort of back where you started. She kind of gets to welcome you back and she yeah. gets to be the. Yeah. And I love that it acknowledges her importance in the narrative but you also oh. don't get to see justin or fina 
um, at the end there, uh, which I think is uh, sort of a nice touch, actually. Um, yeah. Leaving you with that ambiguity. So I wanted to back it up just a little bit because playing off this idea that Justin, you know, Lean believes Justin is the one with the potential to figure out a new way. Yeah. What ends up happening in that, like the world is saved moment, how it happens is Justin ends up using that spirit sword to destroy the spirit stone mm-hmm. to yeah. kind of prevent that greed, prevent that cycle prevent Gaia from coming back. And then Gaia takes on a different form because Justin did that. It's a non-threatening tree, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Really cool looking giant tree. <laughs> um, and Fina points out that you can kind of see all that like spirit energy that all the different villagers were concerned about returning to the land, mm-hmm. which is cool. I thought that was a nice moment and it, it makes sense. Um, it was not what I was expecting. Like this idea that the spirit stones themselves were the things that needed to go away. Um, yeah. In order to make this all work, um, it was um, you know it it didn't feel too cheap to me um, or too obvious. Like I could I can see why nobody would have figured that out before. Like it seems like a strange thing. Like how is it that that's the thing? But yeah, no, I, I like I like that moment a lot. Um, so yeah, but that's the end of the narrative. Um, I think the ending is the most effective part of the last ten hours um, because it feels like it, it captures that optimism a little bit. But yeah, I like the ending a lot. I do too. I like. I think narratively things stay pretty well in line tone-wise up until Melda leaves, maybe a little bit before that. You still get kind of flashes of that spirit of adventure. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the ending. Yeah, I agree with what you said with Sue narrating and everything that really does kind of tie everything together and bring it back. Um, You know, one thing we haven't talked about much in this game, though, um, sort of now that we're done with the narrative, is side quests. And I think the reason Uh, for that... Is that there mm-hmm. aren't very many of them. This no, isn't quite as linear as Grandia Two, which is even more linear than this game. There's like I think one bonus dungeon in Grandia Two, um, but here there are three. Uh, I will admit, uh, I played this game for review, and I did not have time as I was playing it for review this 45, 50 hour game to uh, mess around with any of the dungeons. But Hillary, I think you uh, played around with them a little bit, right? I was able to, yeah, kind of poke poke my head in. I I wanted to look around for some of those. Because there are so few of them, I mean, that's really kind of the major motivation to go mm-hmm. to any of them. Right. Well, I've watched some videos, um, and, and there's certainly more of a challenge, but there's also cutoff points for them as well. So if you haven't played this game, which you probably shouldn't be listening to this at this point if you haven't, <laughs> um, but there are weird cutoff points. And so you can't do two of them after a certain point. Um, and then the, the final dungeon, or the final optional dungeon which opens up a little bit later, you also can't do at the very end of the game either. Uh, which yeah. Which seems like sort of a strange choice to me because they're like sort of these these hidden dungeons sort of off in like the desert and they're not super obvious. Yeah. And I actually, I mean, I I knew that they were there because when I first played this game, I was a completionist and I played them, but I did mm-hmm. not like stumble upon any of the optional dungeons. If I had, maybe I would have like played around them a little bit, but because I get so tired of getting lost in this game, it wasn't even worth me trying to like find where it was. <laughs> Um, so that's sort of a strange well, choice to me um, that you put these big, massive dungeons that are optional in like sort of not easy to locate areas. Yeah, and all th- honestly, all three of them are pretty big. Yeah, um, I mean, I think the last one, like I-, I think it's by far the largest dungeon in the game, which I don't even know what to say about that. Uh, when you say that, yeah. it does not make me want to play it. <laughs> I know, <laughs> at all. And, and I think a little like tidbit that I picked up while I was kind of looking around and looking into these dungeons is that there's some interesting stuff hidden in some of them because the castle of dreams, which I think is the generally considered the easiest of the three of them. Yeah. It's one of the ones in the desert. 
Uh, it actually has the most assets in terms of like battle backgrounds of, of any location really? in the game. Yeah. <laughs> Spend all that on a spot that you might not see. Probably only twenty percent of the people who play the game are going to do it. <laughs> That's really fascinating to me. I mean, I guess yeah, it's worth it. Which is really interesting. And I got through a few of them, and it it definitely made me feel better. Like there was a little bit more variety than some of the other dungeons. Yeah, maybe they yeah, should have supplanted really some of those dungeons. And <laughs> like I don't know, um, the lost city. Of Lane, oh my gosh, which I never want to think about again. There's not a lot of side content here. Uh, I'm curious. So, in terms of your overall thoughts here, what did you think of Grandi overall? I I enjoyed it very very much overall. There were times definitely they were a little bit frustrating. There were some really really good things, and there were some slightly disappointing things. But overall, my impression is quite positive. I like the characters, yeah, which is something that's very very important to me. Me too. Typically. So that's that's a big thing in its favor. And, you know, there's that tone that we've been talking about that I really, really appreciated for most of it. Uh-huh. I do I do appreciate the battle system a lot because it's easy to navigate. And it's it's I would say it's actually pretty easy to get through the game quickly without too much extra fuss. If you don't really want to experience playing with it and really tweaking your characters and yeah. bringing up those skills. But it definitely, definitely rewards you. Absolutely. Because you can be, like you mentioned before, you can be extremely powerful if you do mess around with it and see what works. So I, I like that there's that that variety and that mm-hmm. you can take those different approaches. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it doesn't sit at the top of the PS1 RPG library for me. Um, I'm still putting both Lunar games above this one, even though those aren't PS1 RPGs originally. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm still putting some of the Final Fantasies above this one. Um, I think that Chrono Cross is maybe slightly stronger. I, I, I wouldn't put it at the top, but I would definitely put it as a second tier PS1, Sega Saturn era game. You know, the things that I think really distinguish it, I think this translation, even though I'm guessing that they were probably working with some really, really over the top material in those last 10 hours where the translation seems like it's becoming like very cheesy. Yeah. Because the narrative, quite frankly, becomes yeah. very cheesy. And because they're so clever earlier on, that to me, like that really sticks out as being something that yeah. distinguishes it, even amongst PS1 RPGs and the combat. Combat's amazing, but I can't get past the dungeon design. It is so, it, it is so outrageous. It, it just trying to make the game longer because like PS1 games were long. And so like, if we make you get lost in a dungeon for two hours, well, now our game's 45 hours long. It's the only reason I can think that they would have made that design choice. And nowadays when we really don't want our RPGs necessarily to always be that long, it feels like a big, no. uh, a big mistake. And so that, that hurts the game a lot for me. I think the last 10 hours hurts the game a little bit. But overall, mm-hmm. love, love the characters, love the combat, love the setting, love the tone. I think so, so much of it is really, really strong. But the things that are wrong with it, are, to me, are very, very wrong with it. And that makes me struggle a little bit to put it up towards one of those top tier games. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. Yeah. So, um, anything else that we forgot to talk about? Um, just a fun little side note. I really like how some of the dinner scenes and the party talking at inns is a thread throughout the entirety of the game. Yeah, I agree. The thing is, even in in those last, like, five, six hours, you get less of that, too. And it's, it's, it's a little bit less captivating. I mean, understandably, Mm -hmm. you know, the party has a lot of stuff on their minds, and if I don't have time to sit down and have dinner, I get it. The yeah, world's ending. I understand. <laughs> but you know what? I really like those scenes. Please give them to me again. Please just have some dinner conversation you for gotta us. Eat. You got to eat at some point. 
<laughs> I know the world's ending, but you gotta eat. No, I agree. I, I, I think that the dinner scenes are really good and that gets back to characters, dialogue, um, NPC, the attention to detail with the translation, I think is what stuck out to me this time around. Yeah. Well, I think that about wraps up our conversation about Grandia. Thank you so much for talking to me about this game. And, you know, I know it's a it's a long slog and it's confusing to talk about because there are so many different plot points that are so sort of minuscule and hard to keep track of. But I had a blast talking about it with you, Hillary. Yeah, same. So next month, uh, or this month, I believe, uh, later this month, we will have two episodes about Vagrant Story, which I know that a few people on staff are playing through and maybe similarly to this one, have lots of very positive things to say about it and maybe some <laughs> less positive things to say. So I'll be curious to see uh, what those panelists have to say. And then we're going to have the return of the RPG fan retro encounter quiz show game, which I was a member of before and it was a blast and I'm going to do it again this time. So I'm really excited to be on that. Um, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can email us at retro at rpgfan.com. You can also comment on the message boards, visit our Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, Discord. We have a Twitch stream every day. Um, there are a million ways to get in touch with us, um, and we'd love to get feedback from you guys, um, either on social media or on whatever podcast listening venue you use, like iTunes, Google Play. Um, we just love feedback. Um, we also have two other awesome podcasts. One is Random Encounter, which is about current events, and it's hosted by Greg Delmage. And we also have Rhythm Encounter, which is about RPG music, and it's hosted by, well, no one at the moment because we haven't had an episode of that in a long time. Um, Hillary, if anyone would like to get in touch with you personally, how can they do so? The best way to get in touch with me is probably through Discord, and I'm EP Fire on the RPG Fan Discord, or I'm Hillary A at RPGFan.com as well. And if you would like to get in touch with me personally, um, you can email me at ZachW at RPGFan.com, or you can get me on Discord at ZachW. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks again for doing this with me, Hillary. Um, I had a blast talking to you. So thank you, listeners. Good night. Good night. And good luck.